I, I suspect that churches that actually make less of a big deal about Easter probably are going to be churches that teach about the resurrection more throughout the year. Here we go! Impress them on your children. Impress them on your children. Impress them on your children, yeah. Talk about them when you see Hello, welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the family and discipleship pastor at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Pastor Anthony Trussoni, the supported elder at Poland Baptist Church in Poland, Maine. All right, Tony, we're back at it, man, and I am uh, freshly clean-shaven. I haven't haven't had a clean shave all the way in like two years, and uh, here I am, and you got your, your Boston Red Sox stuff on, but uh, how are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, it's funny that you note that uh, the podcast listeners that haven't met us before would assume, you know, Ben is defined by the beard and I'm defined by thick glasses, which was true <laughs> at one point in the podcast, but I've sent a LASIK and you sent, you know, you are, you have baby face today, so. <laughs> I, yeah, I probably, it's been like more than two years, my kids were saying, Dad, I can't take you serious. <laughs> yeah, but so yeah, I'm doing pretty well. I'm with, uh, that I'd be doing even better if I was a Tampa Rays fan. Uh, at the time of recording yeah. this, they're ten and zero. So, Whew. yeah, I uh, I didn't realize that until yesterday. Now I heard they they've had a cupcake schedule so far, but they they still they beat the teams they were playing. So thanks for calling playing the Red Sox a cupcake schedule. That's very nice of you. <laughs> oh man, well. Maybe maybe things will start looking up. The, the Braves are looking pretty good so far, so we'll see. That's good. But October's what matters. Yeah. Um, so Tony, I know you know we we just celebrated uh, Easter just a few days ago as of the recording of this, and I heard about a church a few years ago, uh, which was pre-COVID days, which I mean that might as well have been like a century ago. Um, but they, I saw and actually saw a video. I can't remember if this was. It was not like a, a published video. I think it was just someone's cell phone camera. So like I knew someone who knew someone was at this church, and uh, they were promoting their their upcoming Easter service. And so they had these people in Easter bunny suits run down the aisles of the church, and they were throwing I maybe it was eggs or like peep candy or something maybe. And I think there was also T-shirts, and there may have even been a T-shirt cannon. And uh, they were telling people to invite their peeps to the Easter service. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, this is creative. And it certainly sent the message that Easter was a big deal. Um, now, like I said, we just we did observe Easter. Um, did you guys do something similar to that up there in Maine? Not quite, no. So, but, uh, you know, I, it's interesting. I, I think my perception is in New England, honestly, Easter is less of a religious holiday, uh, which is funny because it's literally the most religious holiday. But, you know, I, I would suspect that even if we did that, uh, you know, not a lot of people are jam-packing worship services on Easter Sunday. So, Well, and, and my wife and I were talking about this the other day that I was uh, – we were driving past the, our mall. Um, we were going to my uncle's house for a family gathering, and she saw some cars out there, and she's like, surely the mall's not open on Easter, isn't it? I said, well, I, I'm not sure, but it, it's one of those things where, yes, it is – a religious holiday, at least for those who 
know the significance, but in other ways, it's it's just even down here, um, it's not really. Uh, and so sometimes I kind of wonder why are people even having a, a holiday? But uh, you know, culturally, it can be a time when people that are sometimes known as CEOs <laughs> come to church. Um, it'd be Christus, Christmas and Easter only. They come and, and sort of tip their cap to God. Um, it can bring visitors and unbelievers to hear the gospel, and, and that's something you know we can be thankful for. Um, and and I probably many people have heard the gospel and received Christ at some sort of Easter service. Uh, but today we want to look at that about what does the Bible say about all this? Is Easter all that we make it out to be? Is it less? Is it more? Um, and what place does it have in the lives of churches and individual Christian families? Um, so, what what did you do for Easter this year? Yeah, that's a good question. So we had a community Good Friday service with uh, another Baptist church in Mechanic Falls, the town over from us, and then we uh, that which was neat. And then we had a uh, traditionally Easter service with a um, we had an Easter breakfast because of course we have to have breakfast food. And uh, yeah, exa- you know, that's the Baptists everywhere have to have breakfast food, right? <laughs> and uh, and so you know, we didn't do sunrise, and and I took a break from the Gospel of Luke, which uh, broke my heart a little bit. Uh, but uh, yeah, so and then we, you know, we uh, that we had some fun with the family and had a widow from our church over in the afternoon. So how about you, Ben? What did you guys do for Easter? Well, we did our uh, we had a. a just sort of an open prayer time on Good Friday in the afternoon if people wanted to come by and pray. Um, and then on we had our typical service. We did have a little bit different kind of thing. We had a, a bagels and fruit and, you know, that kind of a continental breakfast um, for about 45 minutes before the service. And, uh, and we did have a larger than normal crowd. There were some people there that either were family visiting from out of town or people I didn't recognize. Um, and then, yeah, we, we – our pastor's been pre- preaching through James, and so he took a break from that and preached from John 11 um, about Lazarus's resurrection and Jesus the resurrection and the life, and uh, just very clear call to to trust him. Uh, and then we had some some family time as well, um, and we enjoyed. See, uh, you know, we're in Augusta, and so the Masters. Uh, it was Championship Sunday, and my aunt works for uh, the the people that do the food, and so she brought to this gathering like a bunch of master sandwiches. So that was our dinner on on set, uh, Sunday night. We had the little, little green packages with the Augusta National logo, um, so that was that was nice of so the Augusta National to bless us. I um, heard they're known for kind of fancy sandwiches. Is that true? I, I wouldn't say fancy. Um, I think they have chicken salad, pimento cheese, and then, um, they have like a regular, like a chicken patty kind of thing. Uh, the sandwiches are good and they're very cheap. Um, are they really? It's, you know, oh yeah. Like I think they're like two fifty. I mean, something is like the national doesn't need people's money. Um, you know, and I, yeah, so it's, it's pretty good stuff. And so people like the sandwiches, um, but uh, yeah, that was the first time I had not had them in a long time. Um, but we live very close to the course, and actually, as the the tournament was winding down, I had to drop a book by uh, a guy in our church who lives even closer to the course. And uh, the fellow that was was winning was like he was you know on the 18th hole, and so I was like, oh, I got to get out of here before <laughs> before all the traffic on. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but anyway, well, so. 
did you, you you talked about Good Friday? So as a kid, was it any different for you with Easter, Good Friday, Monday, Thursday, any of that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we it wasn't you know as uh, as religious as a kid. Uh, you know, the uh, I did we did Easter as a kid. I mean, we bit, did a big deal with uh, Easter baskets. You know, I. I I know that sometimes we'd even get Nintendo 64 games. Uh, <laughs> from the I still Easter have one party. of those, by the way. Yeah, nice. And uh, the one year I actually remember uh, when my dad, I mean, my dad's a home builder, and he was building a house for us, and he uh, that wasn't finished yet, and it didn't have uh, carpet installed on the uh, stairway. And so my dad found some way to make... Uh, like b- large bunny tracks up stairway and put the uh, baskets on the top of the stairs. And he told us that uh, the Easter bunny uh, thought that we had moved already. So we went there and we saw the, you know, and I, I think I was old enough to obviously know uh, but, uh, the truth about that. But it was definitely, it was memorable. So how about you? Did you? Did you, did you make sure to tell your sister? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I could see a little Tony like, now you know. <laughs> it was pretty impressive, though. I mean, that clever thinking, you know, because uh, basically, you know, just bare flooring, and it was pretty neat. So That's that's cool. Um, yeah, I mean, for like, I had a more of a, you know, we religious uh, connection there. But, yes, there were Easter baskets, and we typically have a family gathering. I still, uh, this came up at my family gathering the other day uh i remember we had an egg we had a a particular cousin who had kind of a big plot of land where their house was and so they would often host the family easter gathering and anyway there was an egg hunt this one year and there was a golden egg that had i don't remember how much cash but it definitely had a cash prize and so of course i mean i I was a pretty greedy little kid who loved money Uh and uh, i wanted that egg for myself as did all the other kids that were old enough to be aware and uh, i saw a relative telling his daughter where the egg was and of course she found it so i I was pretty outraged at this you know breach of the rules and be sure to you know i was pointing it out to my dad like this is not fair and uh so it's still you know like 30 years later (laughs) it still sticks with me (laughs) but um so, Tony, does the Bible command us to celebrate things like Good Friday and Easter? And depending on your tradition, you may celebrate Maundy Thursday and uh, that kind of thing. Uh, it's it's blatantly pagan to do so. Uh, I wouldn't say. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there we go. You know, uh, it doesn't command Easter, celebrating Easter. Uh, and, uh, you know, even, even Romans 14, 5 through uh, 6, a famous passage about, uh, you know, basically one person honors certain holidays, holy days, and another person doesn't, I think would clearly show us that such things are an option, uh, not a command for all believers, not, not even a command in the sense that gathering on Sunday, I think, is a command. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think that means we don't do it. Uh, there are Christians that have come to that conclusion. I know even, I think even John Calvin, John Calvin didn't follow any holy days, including Easter, I believe, and he never took a break. He'd go verse by verse through the book of Bible, and he wouldn't even, acknowledge, if it was Easter Sunday, he's not even acknowledging the pulpit, which is kind of a little bit of respect there. <laughs> I mean, pretty bold, but, uh, but I don't think we have to go that far. Uh, you know, I, I do think Acts four thirty three um, that um, 
the does show us there's some passages that do show us that we should uh, remember Christ's resurrection. Which so no, I don't think that we're commanded to celebrate Easter or forbidden from celebrating it. Do you think that we're forbidden strongly from it? Uh, no, I, I mean I, I you brought up the Romans 14 passage. Uh, Colossians 2:16 says, "Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink, or in the matter of a festival, or a, a new moon, or a Sabbath day." I think you could probably put that under there, but it is clear that you know the earliest of early churches uh, were not doing like an annual Easter celebration. At least we have no record that they were. Um, but does the, does the Bible command us to remember Jesus' resurrection? I think so, for sure. Uh, I, I mean, I think Acts 4.33 is a pretty clear uh, reference to it. I mean, that uh, the it's, we see early in the church. I mean, Acts 4 is pretty early after the ascension, and it says, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace is upon them all. So, I mean, that they're really focused on this. Uh, and uh, and then we Romans fifteen uh, that uh, that f- uh, the rather First Corinthians fifteen I think is often cited as really a really key passage on the resurrection of Christ and I think Rome First uh, Corinthians fifteen three is a particularly helpful verse I think First Corinthians fifteen and its emphasis on the resurrection of Christ especially kind of as this capstone and explanation of the gospel I think shows us that we need to remember Jesus's resurrection and even we think of that we're not commanded to celebrate it necessarily on a big Easter celebration that uh, we do, I think, see that we're called in some sense to do so even more often. You know, the first, the, the act of worship, the worship service day, the day in which the earliest Christians gathered was on Sunday as a reminder of the resurrection of Christ. So even our kind of day of worship was built upon the idea that we should celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Yeah, I mean, you see John in the book of Revelation, he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. So even, I think Revelation was probably written in the 90s or so. Um, 1990s. Got, huh? 1990s with those Nintendo 64s. <laughs> right. Took a break from uh, Super NES. and uh, uh, No, but... He said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. So already it was being called the Lord's day. Um, now, King, the, the King James version of the Bible does refer to Easter in Acts 12. Did you know about that? I did not know that. That's interesting. It does. Now, it translates the word uh, ta pasca, pasca, uh, as in the Passover, and it translates it as Easter, which it was It was not Easter at the time. Um, interesting. But, I did not know that at all, so... Yes. Um, but yeah, you, you look at the preaching of the apostles in the book of Acts, and uh, I've been reading through a book lately, it's stimulated a lot of thinking, and this this author says how he describes the, the preaching of the apostles uh, and preaching the resurrection, or, or sort of leading with it, and he called it the leading or the cutting edge of their announcement of the gospel. Excuse me. Um, not that they... They bypass the res or the the crucifixion. I mean, the resurrection only makes sense if there's been a death, and they explain other things. But that it was sort of the what they the biggest point that they were making that he has risen, and so what that means for you, um, and so and we we 
we'll get into some of this here in a minute, but um, some of the other New Testament letters unpack the meaning of the resurrection for us. So even though if, if we don't necessarily make a big deal out of, quote, Easter, it doesn't mean that it's neglecting the resurrection. Um, so when did Christians, because you know you're a history guy, when did Christians start observing Easter in an annual way? And, and why, why was it an annual kind of thing? Yeah, that's a good question. So, I mean, clearly we do see that, again, as you mentioned in the New Testament era, there was a weekly celebration of Easter, uh, of, you know, the resurrection. So in a way, there was 52 Easter's. Uh, but uh, that was not as kind of a special annual tradition until later. Uh, but that being said, well, what is fascinating to me is, you know, there are Christians that, you know, down, that dunk on, like, Christmas, or even Easter as kind of being pagan, but there is really significant evidence of kind of an annual Easter celebration, uh, which really would be a Pascha celebration, uh, that uh, P-A-C-H-A celebration, and that's as what they would call it in the second <laughs> century. Uh, and they, they would, act, uh, that this seems to be maybe even the earliest Christian, uh, that annual tradition is the celebration of the Passover and connecting that to the resurrection of Christ. Uh, there's references to this. Sometimes it was put alongside in the second and third century a, uh, a te- the the festival, the testimony of martyrs, which was an old tradition, an old holiday, basically in the early church. And these kind of were at, treated as a faith pillar. So we have kind of basically the celebration of the Christian church of what Christ has done through his apostles, through his people, and we have the greater celebration of what Jesus did. And, and not just his resurrection, but his death as he is the, ultimately the Passover lamb. That's why I think they connected it very clearly. And what's interesting here is, I mean, even with, you know, Easter, we have well, a lot of our holiday traditions are very pagan. You know, uh, there, there's nothing really uh, Christian overtly about San, Santa Claus kind of, you know, Saint Nick, whatever, exaggerations. But even some of these things like the connection of eggs and maybe even some of argue the connection of bunnies to Easter is, is connected with this kind of tradition of this Pascha uh, that, and I'm actually sure if I'm pronouncing it right, but I've more read it. It's Pascha. Yeah, Pascha. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think this has been a pretty enriched tradition, even though it's not commanded. Uh, you know, this is so important that actually even Nicaea addressed it. Council of Nicaea was an important council, an important declaration of the early church. And, and this is a component that is forgotten. There are several other components in the Council of Nicaea. But one component was figuring out when basically the Christians were to celebrate Easter. So there's I, there's significant, rich, strong tradition here, and and I don't think that there's a real argument you can make. Some some like to claim Easter's, you know, that the Easter is a, a pagan celebration of the spring, but it's really hard to, from a historical observation to deny that they the early Christians were celebrating that the old tradition of Passover, but connecting it to Christ. Yeah, and that's what I found as well. Yeah, back to the, the mid 100s, and then yeah, by Nicaea through 25 AD is when it was sort of establishing when Easter would be. Um, so it was pretty entrenched at that point. You know, in some ways, if now I, I'm not making an argument for this, but in some ways, the most biblical of the, the holidays um, that that uh, what do you call it? Hanukkah. 
uh, the festival of lights uh, is one that Jesus himself was observing in John 7 when he's talking about, uh, you know, come to me and drink, the one who's thirsty, and out of him will come rivers of, of water, talking about the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, so now it's not commanding that we go and observe the festival of lights, uh, but it was most likely Hanukkah. Um, that they were celebrating. So like we don't have these biblical commands to celebrate Christmas and Easter as we now know them. Um, so I think it's just important for us to see like, okay, you know, making this enormous deal. Um, well, okay. It can be helpful, but it's not, Jesus didn't say now, Peter, make sure you get it. All right. April, the such and such is going to be Easter. All right. Got it. Um, so is it helpful or needed to have, an annual celebration marking Christ's resurrection. Yeah, I, you know, we just talked about the history on it, and I think part of answering that is actually acknowledging that though Easter has such an incredible long tradition, uh, but even that wasn't unbroken. I mean, there's significant evidence that the Puritans, that the, or that early American pilgrims, uh, for lack of better terms, as well as a lot of the reformers, didn't celebrate it at all. Other than, Brother John was uh, not doing it in Geneva. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> and I mean, there are other leaders. I mean, John Knox didn't seem to celebrate it, uh, whom my dog's named after. But uh, <laughs> that, so, you know, I'm not going to command it in part uh, because, you know, that I, I really love even more than that are weekly Easter. That I, I like to say, you know, around Easter time that we have a weekly Easter. We have the Lord's Day. That should be, you know, it should be every week we get this excitement that this is the time we go to church in the same way that people in the South sometimes get excited. This is the time we go to church for our Christer thing, for our CEO thing. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it could be helpful I think the reasons why it can be helpful is really the same reason why the Old Testament even has some of these annual holidays. And because it grounds our calendar really in the work of God, in the work of Christ, which is a helpful thing. Uh, and, and I do think, again, Passover gives wise precedent for this, as well as even, you know, the Festival of Lights. So there's, there is, in some sense, a biblical precedent, though not a biblical command, that these kind of things can be helpful and can focus us in the right ways. So do you think I'm totally wrong on that, Ben? Uh, no, I think that's a good measured approach. Uh, needed? No. I, I think some people, it would just it would shatter their mental categories to say, you know, you don't have to celebrate Easter, you know, in the, I forget how it's determined or how Nicaea said we should determine it based on the vernal equinox or whatever it was. Um, and, and celebrating Christmas. Um, yes, I think it's, it's helpful for us to remember that Christ came and that he has died and that he has risen. Um, and so it is helpful and it can be very helpful for some people to, to orient their year in that way. <clears throat> But um, it's not a, well, if you don't, and yeah, to say that those Christians in the past who have seen that as, I'm going to guess they made the case that it was sort of an abomination from uh, uh, the papacy or something. Um, was that their, their I mean, take on it? or I, I don't think completely, but there's always that element of it. You know, I mean, I, I think that we had a, uh, a Bible professor that uh, from our Bible college that uh, we've actually had on the podcast, and he one time told me that uh, he thinks somebody should put together a collection of Calvin's uh, sayings on the Pope, and then in the front cover they would have Calvin looking at uh, a picture of the Pope and giving a less-than-kind <laughs> gesture. 
So, you know, there, oh, there is. Yes. They I mean, had some colorful things to say. I mean, they really, really saw uh, the Bishop of Rome as like the center of evil. And I mean, if it was distorting the gospel, you can sort of see how they got there. But yeah, um, no, it could be. I mean, everything was. I mean, if I like to read Calvin's commentaries in preparation for sermons, and there's always a random dig at the Pope, you know, probably <laughs> once of that, one out of every three or four passages, he just randomly, <laughs> here you go, Pope. Yeah, the, the references to popery and things like some of the the term the nouns they use is just, you know kind of falling out of use. But um, and I, I have Roman Catholics whom I love, and I, I would disagree with them on some key issues. But um, anyway, I just I was wondering kind of how, where they arrived at or how they arrived there. Um, so, what might be some unintended consequences of reserving? resurrection celebration mainly for the spring of the year because in my experience um and i've grown up in evangelicalism or a little bit in fundamentalism too um where we emphasize the death of christ and then we, we do make a big deal at easter and the resurrection um but it seems like most of our resurrection talk is centered in the spring of the year yeah i think the great danger is popery Next question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, Not the incense stuff. No, no. Uh, I think we we can if we do that, we see the resurrection as just kind of a seasonal message, and I, I suspect that churches that actually make less of a big deal about Easter probably are going to be churches that teach about the resurrection more throughout the year. Maybe I'm wrong on that, uh, but I, I, I almost it almost seems as if we reserve that kind of thing for Easter when that when kind of Easter is the focus, Easter is the draw. Uh, and I think even not just in what we preach, but in what we sing, what we you know we're about family ministry, what we sing both at church but even at home, you know we we I, I'll even say I don't know that I've ever sang in a you know co- a congregational setting a hymn focused on the resurrection of Christ in October but maybe we benefit from it so what do you think Ben I think the a possible outcome is that it downplays the resurrection for daily life the the, the significance mm-hmm. of it for daily life um, and the power and the hope it gives us in Christian living Um and sometimes it, I think it can result in sort of a, a presentation of the gospel that that presents a dead Jesus. Yeah, it, it's just sort of implied. Oh yeah, well, he rose again. Um, or we we can miss the significance and the richness of the resurrection. Sometimes it's just like, oh yeah, and he rose again. Um, well, why did he rise again? And and you know, asking um, someone, we were talking about this on Sunday, and a friend at church said that friend of hers had been out walking with her and her daughter had gone off to college and come back and said, well, like if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, would that affect your faith? And I think for some people, the answer would be like, well, I, I guess I can't really tell you how it would affect my faith. I mean, because it's almost like it's, it's just a yeah. set of ideas. Um, and maybe they would say, yes, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, which I mean, I would affirm, yes, like God is a personal being and we, we do know him he he's not uh you know he's not allah or dagon or some other god um he he has his own uh, characteristics and personality and um but you know that the 
the way the Bible presents history, um, it hinges on actual historical facts and not just a philosophy, and that, that God himself has entered into human history and what has corrupted our history and, and our nature and our whole existence, God has not just undone it, but he's overcome it, triumphing over it. Uh, he's returning things back to the way they were in Genesis 1 and 2 before sin entered the world. And it's like God's purposes are standing here. Look at the faithfulness of God and the power of God. Um, and that life is better than than death and the, the cause of death and sin. Um, and so I think, yeah, I can just downplay those things or miss them and – in some ways, maybe truncate and, and shrink the gospel message a little bit and, and its power for um, – let me – you know, I think we probably – Tim Keller, I think, is the one who came up with this. But, you know, the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life. It is the A to Z. And part of the gospel is, you know, God's reign has come in Jesus and, and through his resurrection from the dead. I mean there's places where Paul meditates on that, like in Romans 1, you know, that he's been appointed Messiah through his resurrection from the dead. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we just, we can miss the big deal that the new Testament makes of it. And it's like, well, if the new Testament makes such a big deal with it, like, shouldn't we, shouldn't we pay attention to what it's saying here? And again, we don't want to downplay the crucifixion. I mean, some people want to do that because, well, you know, it's kind of outdated or it's bloody and it's gory and people don't understand. No, we need to preach that as well. Um, but we don't simply want to preach a dead Jesus or assume people get the, the, you know, the weight of the resurrection. Um, yeah, so, I want to, you know, to jump on that, like, I do have to say, I think you're really right on in your observation. And, you know, there, there are some statistics that show, you know, there have been surveys on theology of the average Christian and average churchgoer. And I mean, probably the most devastating lack of doctrinal awareness consistently resolves around, revolves around the resurrection of Christ. I mean, there's huh. tons of evidence that show that very, very few evangelicals can really explain uh, what's going to be an next question which really revolves around why you know what what difference would it have made if jesus hadn't risen from the dead and you know a lot of christians this is funny because in the first century maybe the opposite would have been true i mean the second mm. and third century uh there's a lot of christians that could give you a good answer on why jesus had to die uh that but they couldn't give you a good answer when jesus rose had rise from the dead and maybe when they think about it they end up distorting the cross you know they do that kind of the sunday's coming a bit rather than understanding that uh i mean this is not uh you know this is not the hinge of the uh of the atonement but this this is a a connected work this is an additional work in a way yeah, yeah, and I sort of teased it, but I mean, what would you say, like, what, uh, why did Jesus rise from the dead? What effect does it have? Why does it matter for us, even day to day now, um, as we seek to follow him until he returns? Yeah, I mean, I think Romans 15, again, uh, and a lot of other passages seem to show that one of the purpose of the resurrection is that it does prove his atonement. Uh, I mean, there is many of the resurrection passages are deeply tied to giving a, a confidence in the faith and uh, what we believe. I mean, it is it is the, literally the living proof of what we believe. So, 
Uh, I, I think it, it is the message that, I mean, Jesus is called the first fruit, uh, fruits from the, from the dead. I mean, he, that as the one who rose from the dead, that he's able to be that kind of leader of us out of the grave as well. So, I mean, the resurrection, if, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we wouldn't. Uh, and that's much of the message of the hope. It's not just a reconciliation with God, but it is that our eternal, that uh, we will exist and bodily form that we will have recreated new bodies that is possible because of a resurrected resurrected Lord. I, I think also he does this to comfort his own. Uh, I think this is uh, uh, the gospel seem to show this is part of it, you know, to be to to act as a comfort and a hope even in that time in between. Uh, but and I mean, in a lot of ways, it is. I mean, the proving, the not just proving what he did counted, but to prove who he is, prove the divinity of of God of Christ is a central aspect of the of the resurrection, especially as it is such a unique miracle where there was other resurrections. I mean, there were people that are risen from the dead, but not in that same way, not in that isolation way that Jesus was risen from the dead that proved his divinity. Mm-hmm. What do you think? What, what other truths do you think um, that are pointed to from this? Uh, yeah, I mean, some of it I kind of already mentioned, but just it's him... God's original intention for humans to be in relationship to him, to to be alive physically and embodied, um, that that wasn't all undone by the fall. Yes, that brought in judgment on that, but then Jesus, in, in through human obedience, um, returned us back to to God's plan, and that you know God God is not going to be uh, usurped by Satan. And you know, Jesus. The the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. First John things three eight, uh, and, and that was part of it. And so, um, demonstrating yes that His kingdom has come, His kingdom of life, and uh, His good rule <clears throat> through a human um, made as His image bearers to rule. Uh, and so, and you know, day to day. I mean, Paul uses this. Um, in several places, but I think like Colossians three, that you know, if you have been raised with Christ, then set your mind on things above, because your life is hidden with Christ in God, and you've died with Him to sin, and you've been raised to live in this way. So we have not just a, an example, but then I mean Ephesians one, He says, I, I pray that you would know. Uh, the power that is at work in you, and it's the same power that brought Jesus back up from the dead. That, that it's in that power is at work in you to change you to become like Jesus. You're being conformed to Him. Um, not, I mean, in His resurrection, yes, we've been born again, but then also we look forward to when our bodies will rise, and then our character matches His as well. Um, and so we have that that power and that hope that even as our bodies decay. Okay, this is not the end. This is not the last thing. Like, not just I'll die and go to heaven, sort of be in the clouds as a you know fat cherub playing a little harp. But like, I'm gonna have a body. Like, what God gave me, it was good, and and he he is going to um, return that. Now I don't know exactly what we're gonna look like. I know Augustine said we'd all look like we'd 25 forever or something. I mean, I, you know, I don't know where he got that, but sounds good. Um, I had a little more hair back then, but <clears throat> um. So what are some ways that you think families can bring the resurrection into the rest of the year? Yeah, so I I think one clear way, one way the Apostle Paul did is talk about it when death comes. 
I, mm. I, I think that is an important way in which we bring up. I mean, you even mentioned, I mean, the resurrection guarantees that our resurrection for as believers and that we will be raised in even bodily form. Uh, and, and so, you know, the message of the resurrection, when somebody in our church dies, you know, when somebody in our family who's a believer dies, we talk about it. We can talk about around the table that, you know, this is, uh, to quote the Andrew Peterson song, this is not the end here at this at the grave. Uh, so I, I definitely think it's relevant there. I actually, you know, uh, one of the ways even is talking about it, even in its connection with baptism. Uh, you know, it's funny because, again, we don't think about the resurrection so much, but yet we, we briefly do the mention of, you know, raise with him that in his resurrection when somebody's baptized. But, I mean, the rising up is meant to symbolize that because there's such significance for the Christian life. Uh, I think part of how we're able to teach in the resurrection more and bring the resurrection more is focus more on the new heavens, new earth, not you know the not going to the spirit in the sky when we die. Uh, <laughs> in a pie in the sky, in the sweet by and by. <laughs> yeah, no. uh, but also, I you know I think we can bring up the resurrection as this great demonstration of our faith. Uh, you know, we as Christians, we, we do like to talk about proof of our faith. Sometimes I fear that in our culture, that our proof of our faith is having a, a good testimony and, you know, and having so much more joy today. Uh, the early church talked about the resurrection of Christ when they wanted to have confidence in the faith. And I think that is an aspect of how we can we can bring up, even in our, our household, how we, how we hold firm as our doubts, how we hold firm when it's hard to hold on to the faith, as through the message of the resurrection, through the confirmation that it brought of Jesus being who he says he is. I like that. The thing I can think, just even in our prayers, um, appealing to that uh, in the way that we pray, and that, that's really the only thing I think you know that, that I would bring up as well. Um, and again, that can be if if you say the same words all the time, it could just become a rote thing, and people just okay, this is this is how dad prays, this is how mom prays. But it, you know, mm-hmm. if you add some different language in there, and, and really. I mean, it's going to take some intentionality because, and some of it's from our culture, um, the kind of neo-Platonism, and you know, body is bad, soul is good, and we just need to, you know, escape this. And when that's not entirely the Bible's picture, yes, we need to give attention to our souls, but physical training is of some benefit, and and we will have a body. Like Jesus has a body today. And he will forever, which I mean, it's like, that's astonishing to think about that the eternal God has taken on a human body forever. Um, so clearly it's a good thing. And um, yeah, it, he, our, our hope is literally, you know, sitting in heaven um, until he, at the father's hand. And so yeah. um, that's, that's not because he's being lazy. <laughs> no. um, so it, yeah, I think just through our prayers, bringing that up. Um so what role do churches have in highlighting Jesus's resurrection more regularly so that they can help the members of the church and help families in the church to see how central it is for the Christian life? Yeah, I think it's that we need to highlight it more because the New Testament brings it up a lot. Even Jesus himself uh, alludes his resurrection a pretty great deal, especially in John's gospel. 
and somewhat Matthews as well. Uh, and, and so I, I think that the church has a responsibility to carry on this Christian tradition, this biblical tradition of highlighting the resurrection in every month of the year. Uh, you know, I, I suspect a better emphasis on expositional preaching would help. Uh, in any capacity, not just in, in the sermon, but kind of a better focus on we teach the whole council of the Bible will help us to kind of see the resurrection as not just a kind of weird Easter thing. Uh, and, uh, but but I, I also think that churches can help in highlighting this more for members and families by when they give the gospel. I, I think it's wise and good to give the gospel in every message of the church. Uh, but when we do, we often we like to just kind of mention Jesus died. Uh, but that's not what the New Testament overwhelmingly does when it gives the gospels. It will include the fact that Jesus rose as well. So I, I think mention the resurrection of Christ when you explain the hope that Jesus offers the unbelievers and believers alike in your sermon. So. That's good. I, and I, I think, again, in, through our prayers, through our songs, you talked about not singing a song in October about the resurrection. Um, I think there's ways probably we do sing songs that at least mention the resurrection and maybe we just don't even think about it. Um, but you know, I'm not, um, I'm not Anglican. I don't plan on becoming Anglican, but I am thankful for our Bible believing Anglican brothers and sisters. And there's, um, I'm holding a book of common prayer, um, right here. And I mean, they just in, uh, again, some of the things that I think their their beliefs and practices, I don't think they can directly defend from the Bible. Um, however, when you read through the Book of Common Prayer, there is a whole lot of Bible in it, in the liturgies and the way things are set up. And so, I mean, they have. I'm looking here. This this is the daily morning prayer thing, and then the it's only halfway popery. Huh? It's only halfway popery. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, for those of Roman Catholic churches, they would actually hear this quite a bit. Um, just it wouldn't be as clear in the the preaching, the well, the homilies. Um, but like here on Sunday, O God, our King, by the resurrection of your Son Jesus Christ, on the first day of the week, you conquered sin, put death to flight, and gave us the hope of everlasting life. Redeem all our days by this victory. Forgive us our sins, banish our fears. Um, and you know, just, there's other things like that where there's these regular appeals in in when the people are gathered or just in private prayer that that make uh, mention of draw our attention to the resurrection. Um, again, I, I'm not for the liturgical church calendar and in, in all of its intricacies. Um, however, I can see use in it. I mean, as far as I'm not for it in the sense of saying we we must do this. Um, I, I can see why some people do it. And I was talking to someone just the other day who had been to an Anglican Easter service and was talking you know, and, and all the other stuff they had done over the weekend and how helpful it was. And just, um, and I think there's ways or that sort of built into the church calendar. I can, I can see for folks in that tradition, how that, that could be very uh, meaningful and particularly for someone who came from outside that tradition and then stepped in for the weekend. It was like, Oh, it's kind of fresh and new. Whereas it could become rote. I, I, I get that. Um, but the, even just learning from that practice of incorporating it, um, because yeah, it is. I mean, Paul said, "If if Christ is not raised, then our, we're to be pitied above all people." So um, it is the the linchpin. Um, 
so are there any resources that you'd recommend to help listeners kind of more deeply grasp the meaning and the weight of the resurrection so they can bring it into daily life? Yeah, um, I, I think that it's okay if one, not, but yeah, the, there's I think there's a lack of really really solid ones and ways. Um, you know, I really like um, there's a, a series of children's books that and then they get into the resurrection and even the cross uh, that uh, and one of them is called the Garden, the Curtain, and the Cross, and mm. uh, and there even that book has it's one of my favorite Good Friday slash Easter books. Because uh, I think it, it does give clear teachings on how even the resurrection message brings us back to the, to the new garden. How it, it you know, is connected to our entrance and our nearness to God. And really all the books in that series. I'm blanking the name of the series, but I'm sure uh, listeners could easily find it with that. But also, I really like um, Andrew Peterson. He's a, a singer-songwriter. And he's written a, kind of a series of of, of albums that centered around the resurrections over years like decades uh, they're called the resurrection letters mm. and and i think those are fantastic resources musical resources to center us in the resurrection throughout not just easter time but throughout all the year uh but i, I do think that there's probably a need for better better resources on the resurrection, better resources, even simple doctrinal books that can help us. I know Sproul has written a decent little one, but uh, I don't think there's a lot that's been put out that's at least popular today. What, what can you think of? Well, I would second. I didn't think about the resurrection letters. Uh, it's two. I think there's two volumes. And I like the fact that it's labeled that. It's like these are the letters, the, the risen Christ uh commissioned his apostles by the spirit to, to write to teach us okay this is what it means that jesus has died and risen for us and how do we live for him now as we wait for him to return um yeah i don't know at the popular level and i have not read this book i, I almost bought this book the other day but it was a book by gk beale on union with the resurrected christ um and it was described as like the the best book i've ever seen on the implications of the resurrection for the believer and it, um, how we get Jesus in salvation. We don't just get forgiveness, but we get Jesus and Jesus is risen and all that comes with that. And, uh, they said it like there were application questions or, you know, points, things like that at the end of each chapter. So it was meant to be used kind of in that way. Um, and so I've not read it, but I mean, GK Beals is pretty solid, uh, guy. Um, so that sounded that piqued my interest. I the, the book I mentioned earlier that I've been reading does have a chapter on the resurrection, and it's the guy is, is a New Testament scholar, but the way that he writes is very I feel very accessible. And I've, I've gotten in trouble sometimes when I found something was really accessible, and I was used to reading books that maybe waded into the weeds a little bit more. Um, not like I'm super smart, I just I had to for seminary and. Um, and so I just, you know, you get more comfortable with something if you spend more time on it. And people are like, wow, that was like kind of academic. And so um, I don't feel that this book is super, super academic, but, you know, I could be uh, I could be wrong on that. But it's called The Gospel of the Kingdom by David Seccombe, uh, S-E-C-C-O-M-B-E. It, it came recommended by uh, one of the folks over at uh, Two Ways to Live, you know, Matthias Media in yeah. Australia. So this guy's Australian too, um, but he, he just talks about the Old Testament roots of the kingdom of God, particularly in Isaiah, and then uh, has a real helpful chapter on the resurrection. And even now, as we 
we hold out the gospel, um, returning to like using that as the leading edge of our gospel preaching because of the cultural differences or uh, cultural similarities that we share with kind of the Greco-Roman world and hopelessness and all this kind of stuff. Um, so anyway, I, I found it very helpful and, and stimulating to my thinking. So maybe maybe check it out on Amazon. Um, Tony, I think this has been a, a good discussion to think about um, after just coming off a holiday and one that, you know, down here in the South, we um, in particular, we, you know, put big bows in little girl's hair and get smocked and monogrammed outfits and seersucker and all these pastel <laughs> colors and take pictures. And uh, and then we have the Masters right here in Augusta, which often can conflict with Easter. Um, and so we bow down and worship the golf gods um, and the money gods. But uh, it, it's good to remember that, yes, as you said, it, that there are 52 Easters a year and uh, what, what impact that makes for us. And, Sometimes uh, 53. Uh, yeah, that's true. It, it happens. Um, so let's let's go forward in that. And whether we do it at a big deal annually, let's let's not forget it those other weeks of the year uh, and, and the other days because it, it has impact day to day for us. So thanks for thinking with me. Yeah, it's a good discussion. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.